Section nine of Black Experience in America, eighteenth to twentieth century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Black Experience in America, eighteenth to twentieth century. Section nine. Plantation Life as Viewed by an Ex-Slave, Minnie Davis, age 78, 237 Billop Street, Athens, Georgia. Written by Mrs. Sadie B. Hornsby, Athens, Georgia. Edited by Mrs. Sarah H. Hall, Athens, Georgia. And John N. Booth, WPA Residencies 6 and 7. August 29, 1938. The bareness of Minnie Davis's yard was relieved by a single rose-bush, and her small house might best be described as a tumble-down shack. An unsteady wooden box served as a step to the fragment of porch before the front door. "'Good morning, ma'am,' was the greeting of a negro man who hastened to answer the visitor's knock at the door. "'Yes, ma'am, Miss Minnie's at home.' He turned, tapped on the door of one of the four rooms adjoining the hall, and called, "'Miss Minnie?' A white lady wants to see you." Minnie hobbled to the door and invited the visitor to her bedroom, where a suite of handsome walnut furniture reflected the period when marble tops were standard parts of dressers and washstands. A low chair, an old table, and a rusty heater completed the furnishings of the room. Age and ill-health have not dealt kindly with Minnie, and her short-cut, kinky hair is almost white but her eyes and face retain a remarkably youthful appearance. She is a small, thin woman of ginger-cake color, and despite the sweltering heat she wore a pink flannel nightgown, faded and dingy, and a pair of high-top black shoes, so badly run over that she hobbled along on the sides of them. Minnie is well educated, and she taught school for so long that her speech is remarkably free of dialect. When the nature of the visit was explained, Minnie said, "'A white woman has been here several times before, but I was sick and didn't understand clearly what she wanted me to tell her.' She then explained that she did not care to talk for publication at all. She said she was hungry, and had nothing at all in the house to eat. Her nephew Ed, an ex-postman, lived with her, she explained, and he would go for food if there was any money. She might feel like talking a little if she had something to eat. The interviewer provided the cash and Ed soon returned with a pint of milk and some cinnamon rolls. After her repast Minnie began to talk, giving the impression that every word was carefully weighed before it was uttered. "'I was born in Green County, near Penfield, Georgia,' she said. "'Aggie Crawford was my mother, and she was married to Jim Young. My only sister was Mariah, and my three brothers were Ned, John, and Jim. Ned was a mulatto. I know who his father was, but of course you won't ask me that. I wouldn't want to expose my own mother, or the man who was Ned's father. I was quite a small child during the war period, and I can tell you very little of that time, except the things my mother told me when I grew old enough to remember. My mother belonged to the Crawford family in Greene County, but when I knew anything we were living in Athens and were the slaves of Master John Crawford. As children we played around the yard, those of us who were old enough had odd jobs to do. 
The unsealed house that my father and mother shared with three other families was weather-boarded, and had a chimney made of sticks and dirt. There was a bed in each corner of the room, and from one to three children slept in the bed with their parents. The rest of the children slept on the floor. The tall, old, homemade wooden beds had very much the appearance of beds used now, except that cords were used instead of the metal springs that came into use later. Our Osnaburg mattress ticks were filled with straw. I'm quite sure there were no pillows. There was also a two-story house on the lot for slaves." She was asked what she called her father and mother during slavery time, and her reply was, "'I have always said father and mother because I liked it better, and the Bible teaches us to say that.'" Grandmother Dilsey and Grandfather Levi Crawford lived in Lexington. I saw my grandmother one time, but I don't know what she did at the white folks' house. Grandfather was a carpenter. I never got any money in slave time. If the slaves ever got any, it was when the Yankees came through here. At that time the white people gave their money to the slaves for safe-keeping, and after the Yankees went on it was returned to the white owners. My mother was the cook and looked after the house. Oh, yes, indeed, we had good food to eat bread, milk, meat, collard greens, turnips, and potatoes. I would say we had just everything that was grown in the garden and on the plantations to eat at that time. The cooking was done in the kitchen in the yard. The fireplace was as wide as the end of this room, and a long iron bar extended from one end to the other. The great cooking-pots were suspended over the coals from this bar by means of pot-hooks. Heavy iron skillets with thick lids were much used for baking and they had ovens of various sizes. I have seen my mother bake beautiful biscuits and cakes in those old skillets, and they were ideal for roasting meats. Mother's batter cakes would just melt in your mouth, and she could bake and fry the most delicious fish. There was no certain thing that I liked to eat more than anything else in those days. I was young and had a keen appetite for all good things. Miss Fanny and Miss Susan often made candy, and it was so good I could have eaten all they made, had they given it to me. My father hired his time out. He made and sold ginger-cakes on the railroad. In the summer-time we wore homespun dresses made with a full skirt gathered into a tight-fitting waist. In the winter-time the dresses were made of checked woolen material called linsey-cloth. For underwear we wore balmoral petticoats and Osnaburg drawers. We went barefooted most of the time. I remember one particular time when the ground was frozen and I went about without any shoes. But it didn't bother me. Barefooted children seldom had bad colds in winter. We wore just anything on Sunday, but we had to look nice and clean. Master John Crawford son of the distinguished William H. Crawford, was my owner. Indeed, he was good to us. I'll tell you after a while about the time he wouldn't let the town marshal whip my mother. They told me his wife was a fine woman, and that she was as good to her slaves as she could be. She died very young in life, and Master John's sisters, Miss Fanny and Miss Susan, kept house for him after that. Master John's three children were Miss Fanny, Miss Rosa, and Master Alley. Miss Rosa married Master Tom Golden, and Miss Fanny married Edgerdin. I've forgotten his first name. 
Master John may have had an overseer on one of his plantations, but I don't remember. I do know he didn't have a carriage-driver, for he didn't have a carriage. I don't believe I can describe the peculiar shape of his fine eight-room house. It was on Doherty Street, right back of Scudder's school. The Crawfords were considered very uppity people, and their slaves were uppish too. Master John didn't have many slaves, and they had to get up and get going early every morning. Master John was postmaster of Athens, and had to be in his office by eight o'clock every morning, so he ordered that his breakfast be served regularly at seven-thirty. No, ma'am, our white folks didn't teach their slaves to read and write, because it was against the law. However, they did read the Bible to us, and the slaves that were smart enough were asked to repeat the verses they had learned from hearing Miss Fanny, Miss Sue, and Massa John read. The Crawford children were caught teaching my mother to read and write, but they were made to stop. Mother was quick to learn, and she never gave up. She would steal the newspapers and read up about the war, and she kept the other slaves posted as to how the war was progressing. She knew when the war was over almost as soon as Massa John did. I don't recall any certain reason why the slaves were punished. They needed it, I'm sure of that. Some folks need to be punished now. Miss Sue, as we called her, whipped the slaves for misbehavior. I remember one time there was quite a commotion. The town marshal came to our house to whip my mother. It had been told that she had been writing letters, asking people to buy whiskey from her. But Master John wouldn't let the marshal touch her. There was a jail, but I don't recall that any of Master John's slaves were ever put there. I was told that his slaves were, as a rule, well behaved, and that they gave him no trouble. Yes, ma'am, we went to church. That is, those of us who cared to go did. There wasn't any separate church for colored people in Athens, that I can remember. We went to church and Sunday school at the First Presbyterian Church, where the slaves were allowed to sit in the gallery. I recall that Dr. Hoyt used to pray that the Lord would drive the Yankees back. He said that niggers were born to be slaves. My mother said that all the time he was praying out loud like that. She was praying to herself, Oh, Lord, please send the Yankees on and let them set us free. I wasn't enough of a singer to have a favorite song, and I was too happy playing with the Crawford children to be interested in going to baptizings and funerals. I did go to my father's funeral. When he was taken sick, Dr. Holt attended his case, and it was not long before he told Master John that father would never get well. When he died, Mother hollered and screamed something terrible. Miss Sue told her not to cry, because the Lord knows best. "'Yes, Miss Sue,' answered Mother, "'but you have never loved a man to lose.' With that they both cried. When anyone died in those days, the people sat up all night and didn't go to bed until the funeral was over. Now no real sympathy is shown. I don't believe any of Master John's slaves ever went to the war. He was good to them, and every one of them loved him. I heard of patrollers chasing slaves and whipping them if they were caught away from home without a pass, and sometimes they locked them up. However, nothing of the kind ever happened to any of Master John's slaves. He was a highly respected citizen, and every one in Athens knew better than to touch his negroes. After the work for the day was finished at the big house, the slaves went to their quarters to weave cloth and sew. 
but when ten o'clock came and the bell sounded everything had to be quiet. Slaves on our place worked Saturday afternoons the same as any other day. On Saturday nights the young folks and a few of the older folks danced. Some of them got passes from Master John so they could visit around. They popped corn, pulled candy, or just sat around and talked. Those of us who desired went to Sunday school and church on Sundays. Others stayed at home and did their washing and ironing. There was always plenty of that to be done. Christmas was a grand time at Master John's. We had everything good to eat under the sun at that time, and as my mother was the cook I was sure of getting my share of the good things. Miss Fanny and Miss Sue played Santa Claus to slave children. I was sorry when Mary got too smart and peeped to see what it was all about, for after that they just came to our house and handed us the things that would have come as Santa Claus. New Year's Day was no different from other days, except that Master John gave the grown folks whiskey to drink that day like he did on Christmas morning. They couldn't risk giving slaves much whiskey, because it made them mean, and they would fight the white folks. They had to be mighty careful about things like that in order to keep down uprisings. My mother went to corn-shuckings, cotton-pickings, and quiltings. They must have had wonderful times to hear her tell it. She said that after the corn was shucked, cotton-picked, or quilts quilted, they always gave them plenty of good things to eat and drink, and let them loose to enjoy themselves for the balance of the night. Those things took place at harvest-time, and everyone looked forward to having a good time at that season. Mother said that Master John was particular with his slaves, and wouldn't let them go just anywhere to these things. But the only game I can remember playing as a child was a doll game. The Crawford children would use me for the doll, and when my turn came to play Mama and claim one of them for my doll, Miss Fanny or Miss Sue would appear, and then I would have to be a doll for them. I didn't mind, for I dearly loved them all. Now about raw head and bloody bones. I'm going to tell you, miss, my master's people were cultured and refined, and they wouldn't allow such things told to their own children or to their slaves' children. They didn't want anything done or said to frighten any little children. And if a nurse or anyone else was caught doing such a thing, that person was punished for it. With the heritage of training like that, I could hardly be expected to believe in such things. Master John was grand to sick slaves. He always sent for Dr. Moore who would make his examination and write out his prescription. When he left, his parting word was usually, "'Give him a sound thrashing and he'll get better.' Of course he didn't mean that. It was his little joke. Dr. Holt, Dr. Crawford Long, and Dr. Jones Long were sometimes called in for consultation on particularly serious cases. We didn't like Dr. Moore, and usually begged for one of the other doctors. I don't think my white folks used teas made of herbs, leaves, or roots. They may have, but I don't remember it. However, I do know that we wore little sacks of asafoetida round our necks to keep off diseases, and that the white folks wore it too. On the day we learned of the surrender, the Negroes rallied round the Liberty flagpole they set up near where the city hall is now. All day long they cut up, and there was a song they sung that day that went something like this. We rally round the flagpole of Liberty. The Union forever! Hurrah, boys! Hurrah! Next morning, when the Negroes got up, the white folks had cut that pole down. We were mortally afraid of the Yankees when they appeared here a short time after the surrender. We were afraid of the Ku Klux Klan riders, too. The Negroes did act so bad, there were lots of killings going on for a long time after the war was supposed to be over. 
Mother was glad and sorry, too, that she was free. Master John had been so good to all his slaves that none of them really wanted to leave him. We stayed on a while, then Mother left and rented a room. She worked hard and bought a house as soon as she could. Others did the same. There were very few slaves that had any money at all to begin on. Immediately following the surrender Northern people opened Knox Institute. One of my teachers was Miss Dora Brooks, a white woman from the North. The principal was a white man. He was Mr. Sorter. After I graduated from Knox Institute I went to the Atlanta University four years, then came back to Athens and taught school here forty years. I taught whatever grade they assigned me to each year, never any certain grade from year to year. First and last I've taught from first grade through high school. I would be teaching now if it were not for my bad health. I receive a teacher's pension, but have never applied for an old age pension. My husband was Samuel B. Davis, publisher of the Athens Clipper. I published this newspaper myself for a short while after his death, then sold it. We didn't have a big wedding, just a very simple one at my mother's house. I was married in a nice white dress, but it was nothing fancy. Our two children were born dead. Once I had a nice home, beautifully furnished. All I have left of it is this old house and my good bedroom suite. The rest of my possessions have gotten away from me during my continued illness. I often think of Abraham Lincoln. He did a good deed for my race. Jeff Davis was a good man, and no doubt he thought he was doing the right thing. Booker T. Washington was a man of brilliant mind, but he was radically wrong in many of his views pertaining to education of the black race. He lectured here once, but I didn't bother to hear him speak. Yes, ma'am, indeed I had rather be free. Oh, religion is glorious. If God has set you free from the bonds and penalties of sin, I think you ought to live up to your Lord's commands. I dearly love to go to church and hear the preacher tell of God. It gives me strength to live until he is ready for me to go. Now, miss, I hope I have told you what you wanted to know. But I must admit the things that took place way back there are rather vague in my mind. I'm an old woman and my mind is not as clear as it once was. Next week, if I am strong enough to make the trip, I am going to spend the day with Mary Colbert, and go over the old times you and I have discussed. She remembers them better than I do, because she is older. End of section 9